Welcome to this podcast by City Point Church, Redcliffe. We are so happy you could join us and pray that the following message will encourage and empower you. So great to be in the house. We're going to take communion in the service. Did you all grab some communion on the way in? If you didn't, could you just give us a wave? Raise your hand. The host team will come around right now and give you some communion. Anybody? Awesome. So, so good. Well, here we are, and we are in uh, the theme of rule and reign, and I'm very excited to be in this theme, rule and reign. Does anyone else like the sound of that? Ruling and reigning. Anyone like the sound of that? Yes, of course. And so today, my goal is to teach you how to fight. Anybody up for that? You know, most of us are like the rest of us, and if you've lived more than, you know, maybe an hour and a half, there's been some opposition in your life, and there's been some challenges in your life. And so fighting God's way is something we need to learn to do. And being a pastor for more than 20 years now, I've realized not everyone has the same fight, not everyone has the same resolve, not everyone has the same get up and go. Um, But I want to this morning convince you by through scripture and the goodness of God that you've already won your battle. All right. And I know because only like two people nodded that most of you don't believe me. But my goal is that by the end of this message in 28 and a half minutes, you will be convinced that the battle's already won and the enemy can just get on his horse. All right, that's my goal. Um, You can grade me out of 10 after the service. Send me an email. I won't read it. Um, So let's get into it. So it starts here in the story of David and Goliath. Okay, so even if you haven't grown up in church, most people know the Bible story of the young guy who took on a giant. Okay, and so I've included all the notes in the um, Bible app for you, but for the sake of time, we're not going to read the whole story because it's really, really long. I'm just going to summarize it for you. We have God's people, the Israelites, in battle with their enemy, the Philistines. And this isn't the first time. These two nations pick fights with each other regularly. And so here they are in battle again, in battle formation, at a place that is translated the boundary of bloods. Because this place had many conflicts before. Much blood has been spilt in this location. It was a place to go to. It was like a doorway to the nations and greater territories. And so they find themselves here again, the Israelites and the Philistines, and they're ready to fight. And so the Philistine army have this warrior named Goliath. And he comes out day and night, morning and evening, And he taunts the army of Israel. He stands in the valley and taunts the army of Israel. He is enormous. This guy is 11 and a half feet tall. You know that dream home you want to build, the 12 foot ceilings? He's that tall. And his armor weighs more than a couple of us put together. That's just what he's wearing. He's absolutely enormous. And he comes out bellowing morning and evening And he says to God's people, the Israelite Israelite army, send someone out to fight me. And if he can kill me, then we'll all be your slaves. But if I can kill him, 
then you're all our slaves. And I want to tell you, that's the only way it goes down. If you don't beat your Goliath, you are going to be enslaved to him. But the flip side is true. If you take him down, then they're your slaves. They now serve you. And so he's there and he's bellowing this every single day. And so he comes out, he says in verse 9, if you come and fight and kill me and then we'll be your servants, if I prevail against him and kill him, you'll be our servants. Verse 10, I defy, I defy the armies of Israel today. Can you hear it? Can you hear it? And that is what the enemy feels like. He comes out and he goes, I defy you. And that's the attitude he comes with. And so all of the army of Israel see him twice a day and they come out and look the part and they face up on the battle line and they hear him and they go running and hiding every day. They're greatly afraid. And so a part of Israel's army are all these good Israelite Hebrew men. And now Jesse is a man who had eight sons, a Hebrew man named Jesse, eight sons. His oldest three sons were a part of the army. And so... The, uh, the, the battle's going on and Jesse says to his youngest son, son number eight, David, who is a shepherd boy back at home because the youngest five are back at home. He says, hey, David, come here. I want you to go into the battle lines and take these 10 loaves and these 10 cheeses. It's cheese and wine night. Take these 10 loaves and 10 cheeses um, to your brothers and bring a report back to me on how things are going. And so David leaves the sheep within the hands of a capable person and he takes the food to his brothers and when he gets there he gets there just as this is all about to happen just as this daily thing is about to happen and he hears Goliath taunting the armies of God and he's like what on earth is going on this is I thought there'd be a battle here but these guys are running for their lives there's a big guy standing there defying God what's going on And his older brother, Eliab, the oldest one, says to him in verse 28, in verse 28 of 1 Samuel 17, when he spoke and his anger aroused against David and he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. At which point David's probably going, what battle? Tough guy what battle? And I love David's response. What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause in your workplace? Is there not a cause in your family? What are you talking about? What are you even talking about? Is there not a cause? Don't you see this? Is there not a cause? And so he starts asking around and the men are like, well, we've heard that the king has said if anyone takes down this giant, he's going to get the princess's hand in marriage. His family's going to be spared from taxes for the rest of their lives. It's a sweet deal. And David's like, wow, this is awesome. And so he starts asking around, is it true? Is it true? And because he's asking around, word of this gets to King Saul and Saul calls David in. I want to tell you that your courage will get the attention around you. So a king calls in a 15-year-old boy, untrained army, untrained young boy. He calls him in. And, and he says to him, 
like, what are you talking about? And David says to him in verse 34, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took the lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And so Saul's like, okay, you're our best shot, go for it. But before you go, here's some, here's some of my armor. And so he tries to dress a boy in a man's armor. And Saul, if you remember, was a foot, a head taller than everyone else. So Saul's trying to dress a child in his armor. And David's like awkwardly clunking around. And he's like, I can't do this, King Saul. I'm not used to this. So he takes it off and he puts on his shepherd's robe and his shepherd's staff and he's got a slingshot because that's what he used to kill things not a sword he used a slingshot and he picks up his staff and his bag and and gets dressed and gets on on his way picks up five smooth stones on the way and goes to front up to Goliath and so Goliath when he sees him in verse 43 he says am I a dog that you come at me with sticks and the Philistine cursed David to his gods and said Come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David, a child, 15-year-old boy, said to the Philistine, You come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel who you have defied today. And this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. Can you just see this? Remarkable. And I'll give your carcass, the carcasses of the Philistines to the birds and the wild beasts, and all the earth will know there is a God in Israel. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And the title of my message this morning is, The Battle is the Lord's. The battle is not yours. Can I just relieve you of that responsibility? Can I just take that burden off you? The battle is not yours. The battle is not Goliath's. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. And we know that he goes on, he throws that stone, it lands in the guy's forehead, he falls to the ground. I don't know whether he's unconscious at that point because David's like, I need a sword. He runs over and takes Goliath's sword out of his own sheath and cuts the guy's head off. I love the Bible. He takes it into town. You guys should read it. No, it's really good. There's some good stuff in there. It's awesome. So point number one, I'm going to give you seven points this morning. (laughs) And I'm going to try to do them in three minutes each. And I want to tell you that these points took me more than three minutes to learn. These points actually cost me a lot of tears and a lot of heartache. And so I pray this morning that as they're delivered, 
but it's something of the grace of the Spirit that opens them up for you. My goal, my goal is to teach you in 20 minutes what has taken me a lot of tears to learn. You can thank me later. And the first point, and possibly uh, the overarching idea or a, a subtitle is resist the resistance. Resist the resistance. The moment you put your hand up to say, Jesus, I want to follow you, you're going to come under resistance. If you do not face resistance, you're doing it wrong. The enemy doesn't want you in this race. But our job is to resist the resistance. It's to resist the resistance, to create an atmosphere that the enemy can't stand to keep hanging around. To, he won't. And we have to withstand. You know, the fruits of the Spirit, there are two that are often really forgotten. Two out of the nine. And one of them is long-suffering. And the other one is self-discipline. I mean, we all love, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness. But who loves long-suffering? No one. What about self-discipline? What about kick yourself in the behind and get out of bed and do something with yourself? We, we very conveniently forget long-suffering and self-discipline. But do you know what? They're fruits of the Spirit. Actually, I can't suffer long in my own strength. I can only suffer long with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And I only know true self-discipline that grows my capacity when it's a fruit of the Spirit. But longevity, do you know, my definition of longevity is outlasting everyone else. You've just got to be determined to stay in it. You've got to be determined to stay in it. And you know what? Your enemy can't withstand you forever. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You have the upper hand every time. You have God on your side. You've got God's resources at your disposal. And you have his strength being renewed to you daily. The enemy doesn't have any of that. He cannot withstand you indefinitely. You have the upper hand. So resist the resistance. Second thing is recognize the moment you're in. Stop and have a look around and recognize the moment you're in. Disarm shock. Do you know what I've learned? Is that shock and grief are two different things. And there's a lot of teaching around the stages of grief and the waves of grief. There's not a whole lot around shock. Well, I recently experienced shock. And it is very different to grief. Grief comes later. But shock is what shows you exactly what's inside. That moment where you don't have time to process your response and what you agree with in that moment is so important. You need to disarm the shock as quickly as possible. You need to recognize the moment as quickly as possible. Recognize the moment. There's a story in Judges chapter 4, which was brought to my attention again just this year. And it's a story again, you know, before David, before David's time. And Israel is under the oppression of a king named Jabin and his captain, his army commander, Caesarea. And so they've been under this oppression for 20 years. And it says after 20 years, they cried out to the Lord. Like, how slow can you be? Please, 
don't take 20 years to cry out to the Lord. And they cried out to the Lord. And so in Judges 4, we see God raise up a judge named Deborah. Now, Deborah's not the one I want to draw attention to this morning. But chapter 4, verse 17, let's read it together. However, Caesarea, who was the captain of the army of the enemy, and he'd been oppressing the Israelites for 20 years. Now they're in a battle. Okay, so Israel finally faces up in battles. And so he flees the battle on foot to the tent of a woman named Jael. Can you say Jael? Jael. The wife of Hebna the Kenite. And somehow there's peace between Jabin and her husband. Verse 18, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. And he said to her, please give me a little water to drink because I'm thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk, not water, and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the door of the tent. And if any man comes and inquires of you and says, is there a man here? You shall say no. Now, this guy is so dishonorable, so obnoxious, so rude. Like, so it was just wrong in that culture to go to a woman's tent to hide in there for her it was just wrong on every level and to lie like no tell people I'm not here and so she's like sure no worries like come let me give you some milk let me cradle you to sleep you know no worries we can do that verse 21 then JL Hebner's wife took a tent peg and a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the tent peg into his temple and it went into the ground because he was fast asleep and weary. And guess what happened? That's usually what happens when a tent peg goes through your temple. He died. But what I love about this and what was brought to my attention is that many of us are busy about our everyday lives and the battle's going on out there somewhere. But what happens when the captain turns up at your door? What happens when he's on your doorstep? What happens when he makes himself comfortable in your bed? Do we get shocked? Do we go, oh my gosh, what do I do? What do I do? Or do we act like JL and go, well then, you've just been delivered into my hands. If you're this close, it means God trusts me to deal with this situation. What do we do? Do we freak out and run and hide and scream and call out for help? Or do we do what JL did, take a temp bag and kill the sucker? You need to disarm the shock. You need to recognize the moment that you're in and go, well, this is my day. He's actually been delivered into my hand. Flip the script, my friends. Flip the script. Is it a public or a private battle? Because we see with David, he says, well, King Saul, I did all of this many times in private. I did the lion and the bear. I can do Goliath. And I have to be honest with you. I've spent many, many nights weeping. God, I wish this wasn't so public. He said to me, sweetheart, you spent 20 years killing lions and bears. You can do Goliath. You can do Goliath. Is it a private battle? Is it a public battle? Is he turning up on your doorstep? Recognize your moment. Recognize your moment and disarm the shock. 
I wrote this down in my journal. It can be happening to you, but you don't have to come under it. Life happens, but we choose whether or not it takes us out. It can be happening to you, but you don't have to come under it. We have a kingdom privilege. You and I have a kingdom privilege. It doesn't matter gender, financial status, economic background, educational background, race. You have kingdom privilege. And God used every single person, whether he was a king or an underdog, if he was obedient and humble and worshipful and trusting. Recognize your moment. Recognize your moment. Number three, identify the target. Many people say, well, you don't know, my giant is so big. Goliath's enormous. He's so, so big. Well, I want to tell you, if he's that big, he's too big to miss. He's too big to miss. And what I've learned <laughs> is that he overplays his hand. And there comes a time where you just go, okay, now that's too far. Like you've overplayed your hand. You've boasted way too much now. And if he's that big, he's too big to miss. You need to discern the sources of your opposition. Is it a liar, the brother who's intimidating? Because that happens. Is it a spirit of intimidation? Is it Goliath, the massive distraction, sickness, breakdown? And in this day, I feel in my spirit that in this day currently, the spirit of intimidation and distraction are affecting the church in plague proportions. Intimidation and distraction. We have to identify the source of our opposition. And we need to silence that mocking spirit. That spirit that comes to the battle line of your life and says, I defy you today. And look at how big I am. And the big brother, who do you think you are? We need to identify it and we need to be just as aggressive sometimes as our enemy is. And so we need to recognize it and, and listen to the taunts and when they come, morning and evening. What you do first and last every day is so important. If the first thing you do is grab your phone and the last thing you do is look at a screen, then Goliath is going to be louder and louder and louder and louder. But if the first thing you do before you even open your eyes is reach over to your bedside table and grab your Bible, if the last thing you do is flick through the scripture, you better believe you can face that giant and he's not going to be able to intimidate you. But does anyone know what I'm talking about, those first thoughts and those last thoughts? Well, you need to take them captive. You need to take them captive under the authority of the Word of God. First and last is so important. Number four, select your weaponry. Select your weaponry. You know, in this season, God has been saying to me, go back to what you know. You don't have to put on Saul's armor. JL, you don't need to be the equivalent army commander to take down Caesarea. Go back to what you know. For David, it was a sling. It was a shepherd's staff. It was a robe. For JL, it was a tent peg. She was a homemaker. She'd stretched out her cords every day and used that tent peg. She just used what she knew. David just used 
what he knew. And for me, I just went back. God, Spirit of God said to me, Carolina, you've dug deep wells. Go back to those wells. Go back to the Word of God. I remember saying one time, you know, all I've got is the Word of God. And as I said it, Spirit of God said, then you've got more than enough. You've got more than enough. Just go back to what you know. Go back to what you know. You already have everything you need. Every morning when I get up, I put on the armor of God, Ephesians. The armor of God, Ephesians 6, talks so well of the spiritual battle. And it talks about the armor that we put on every day, every morning. God, I put on the belt of truth. Truth, God, your truth, not the truth of culture, not the truth of popular opinion, not whether I should be vaccinated or not vaccinated, not whether I should wear a mask or shouldn't wear a mask, not whether such and such is the right guy for the job or this guy is, but your word, God, because if I can spend more time in your truth, then I'm going to be all right no matter what winds of doctrine blow against me. God, I put on the helmet of salvation that guards my mind. Lord, I thank you that I'm saved. I thank you that you rescued me, that that guards my mind. I put on the breastplate of righteousness that protects my heart. And that righteousness is something that only you give, Jesus. It's your righteousness I put on. I'm made right because of you. Lord, I put my feet, I've shod my feet with the gospel of peace so that everywhere I go, I can bring a word in season to someone who's weary. I can encourage that person who needs it because is there not a cause? Lord, I, I put the gospel of peace on my feet. I pick up the shield of faith which quenches the fiery darts of the enemy. Can I tell you, if you need a shield, it's because there are going to be darts. The shield is not an accessory. It quenches the fiery darts when they come. The shield of faith. God, I pick it up and I use it. Lord, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And God, teach me how to be such a good swordsman that I'm not just pushing back the enemy, but I kill him with it. Lord, teach me how to do that. God, and prayer, always in prayer, always in prayer and supplication. Go back to what you know. Go back to what the Lord has given you. Go back to what's tried and true. You don't need to make up the next shiny thing. Go back to what you know. Select your weaponry. Number five, determine your allegiance. Determine your allegiance. Do you know what? Every single one of us, we have one decision. I either make an allegiance with self or I make an allegiance with God. Today you decide. Right now you decide. Right now in your seat. Will you make an allegiance with self or will you make an allegiance with God? Because whose agenda, whose timing, whose conditions? Are they yours or are they his? Make your allegiance today. You already have actually. Maybe in this moment, when we bring it to the forefront of our attention, we need to change our allegiances. Because the battle is the Lord's. It's his battle in his name. I come at you in the name of the living God. It's his battle. The victory is the Lord's. So even when you win, you don't get the credit for it. He does. 
He does. He gets the glory. It's his power and his resource. Because where is his power proven? On the battlefield. His power isn't proven in a cushy palace suite. We all want the power of God and then we're shocked when he calls us out to battle. Well, that's where you're going to see the power of God. Where do you see a miracle? In the middle of a need. Oh God, I want to see the miraculous, but not like that. Choose your allegiances. It's his power. It's his victory. Whose agenda are we peddling here? Because you know what it's, someone once said, it's really hard to hear the voice of God when you've already determined what he's going to say. I don't fast and pray because I want something. I fast and pray so that I can be in the center of God's will for my life. Choose your allegiance. Determine your allegiance today. Number six, party in the middle. Do you know what this is? This is a party in a cup. Party in the middle. There have been seasons in our lives where Sam and I have, for extended periods of time, taken communion every single night. And we've kept journals of thanksgiving. And every single night, we make a list of thanks for the miracles he's done that day. Many of your names are written in those journals. God, I thank you for such and such because they did this. I thank you, Lord, that you provided in this way. We party in the middle. We party in the middle. Daily victories, daily communion. Why? Because he sets a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley. I don't camp there. I don't die there. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely the goodness, your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's take communion together in this moment. You know what I love about this? Is when I take communion in the middle of a battle, when I party in the middle with God, when I accept his invitation to the banquet table of communion, in the middle of my battle, the enemy can't stand it. That blood reminds him that he's defeated. The broken body reminds him that he's defeated. And when I take it in his face, I defy him reminds him no no this isn't happening you're not going to win because my Jesus has already won party in the middle my friends party all the way through
Number seven, see it through. See it through. Did you know there's a courtroom in the spirit realm? Do you know that, Evangeline? There's a courtroom in the spirit realm. It's all the way through scripture. Did anyone know that? Did you know there's a courtroom? Give me a wave. Yeah, see, we don't teach it enough. It's so old school. Job, Daniel, Hebrews, the Psalms, they talk about a courtroom. Jesus even said it to Peter just before the crucifixion. Luke 22, Simon, Simon, Simon Peter, indeed, listen, listen to this. Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Sifting is not fun. Now put your name there because I've definitely lived this. Carolina, Satan's asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. It's not fun. But, but I have prayed for you. Jesus, Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you've returned to me, that you would strengthen your brethren. And so there's a courtroom. In Daniel, it tells us, our enemy will speak pompous words against God, the Most High. He will persecute the saints of the Most High. He will even intend to change the times and the law. Then the saints will be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time, but the court will be seated and they will take away his dominion and consume and destroy it forever. The kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven will be given to the people and the saints of the Most High. And his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominions will serve and obey him. So before you do your battle, when you've recognized the moment, when you've selected your armory, when you've identified your target, you need to take it to court first. There's a courtroom. God is the judge. The enemy is against you, accusing you, the accuser of the brethren. Jesus, Jesus is your defense lawyer. He's your mediator. And so there's this courtroom that's taking place. It's real, my friends. It's happening. So what do we do? We take it to court. And someone once said, you need a, vict a verdict before you have a victory. So go to the great judge, God. Allow Jesus to plead on your behalf. And what's your, what's your evidence? The evidence is the word of God. The evidence is the word of God because the enemy is going to throw all sorts of accusations at you. He'll bring stuff up from your past. He'll bring up your failures. He'll throw things at you, sickness, breakdown, all sorts of things, and he'll accuse you for it. But you have the word of God as evidence. You have the word of God, and that is superior to any word that the enemy tries to tell you. The blood speaks a better word than any word that the enemy will throw at you. And he'll try all sorts of things. And what you need to do is march yourself into that courtroom and whack down your case of evidence and go, God, you said this. And also, every prophetic word you've ever received is evidence in the courtroom of heaven. 
And there have been seasons where I've gone back and I've dug up every video prophecy, every email prophecy, every recorded prophecy, every prophecy I've stuffed in my journal. I've pulled them all out and documented them all together. And I walk into my courtroom and I say, God, you are the righteous judge. You have authority. You are the one that has the final say. And here's the evidence. Here's the evidence. You say you're Jehovah Jireh. That's supreme. You say you're Jehovah Rapha, that's supreme. You say you're Jehovah Shalom, that's supreme. This guy, he can say whatever he wants against me, but this evidence trumps all of that. All of that. So you're convinced yet? Do you know who you are? Do you know whose name you go in? Do you know who the battle belongs to? Do you know who the victory goes to? Do you know whose resources are at your disposal? Today, do you know? Can you see it through? Thank you for listening. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We encourage you to tell someone about your decision and pray and read the Bible every day. We also recommend attending a church in your local area. We have many City Point Church services across Brisbane and the world this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We are so excited to see you there.